Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host Sherry from Here on the Dark Side. Today we have a quick story about a set of best friends, David Kenny and Brad McGarry. Both live in Bel Air, Ohio. David borrows Brad's weed eater and when he returns it, he is shocked by what he finds inside Brad's house. Some things are going to come to light that no one expected. This is episode 90, The Murder of Brad McGarry. This story takes place in 2017. In 2017, we saw Donald Trump tweeting up a shitstorm. Do you guys remember that? Beyonce announced that she was having twins. We had a solar eclipse over the summer. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced their engagement. Fiona, the famous hippo at the Cincinnati Zoo, was born. There was the Equifax data breach. Serena Williams won the Australian Open while she was pregnant. And lastly, grocery prices dropped from the previous year of 2016. Brad McGarry is 43 years old at the time of this story in 2017. He lives in Bel Air, Ohio. Bel Air is a small town with a population of 3,800 people. It is known for being the backdrop of where Silence of the Lambs was filmed. It is right along the Ohio River. Seems like a good old boy type of place. There's a lot of coal mining jobs. Basically, if you're a male who lives in this town, you might be a coal miner. Brad McGarry is a coal miner for Murray Energy, but coal mining was not his passion. It paid the bills, but Brad had went to cosmetology school and became a hairdresser. Brad begins working as a coal miner since working in the salon was not enough to survive on his own. So in this small town, Brad is openly gay and he's working as a coal miner. Most people respected Brad, even being a gay man in a small backwoods town. He was a good guy and everyone knew it. But back when he was a child, he was often taunted and called an F-slur and a slew of other insults. His friends say he never once hid the fact that he was gay from anyone. I sometimes look at some of these victims I talk about and I'm sitting there learning about their entire lives and I always think I could have been their friend. Brad is included in that. Brad and I could have been friends. He seemed like such a compassionate guy who really cared for others. I checked out Brad's Facebook and he has a lot of friends and it seems like he really found his people. He shared a photo of his living room and it was so cute. You can tell he puts a lot of effort into decorating his house. Brad is single and can decorate however he wants, and he has this rustic type of decor. He was known to take meticulous care of his backyard, and he collected rooster decor in his kitchen. Brad's friends say that he was working at getting rid of the stereotype that comes with being a coal miner. It's not just for these hard-ass burly men. Gay men are capable of performing this job as well. Brad has a best friend named David Kinney. 
they met several years prior in a coal mining class and hit it off. Now, David has a wife named Sherry, and she has a few children that David was a stepdad to. Brad would accompany the family lots of places, and Sherry's children even referred to him as Uncle Brad. Brad was just like another member of the family. His best friend David always made sure to include him, even on holidays. Brad would come over and open gifts with David and the family. On May 6, 2017, Brad was out of town. He was in a different county attending a wedding for a family member. Since his mother lived nearby, he just spent the night at her house after the wedding. There were other out-of-town family members there as well, so it's like a mini family reunion. The next afternoon, Brad and his extended family are sitting down eating a meal at the table, and Brad's cousin said that he got a text message that made him smile. He's like smiling and typing back on his phone. Whoever was on the other end of this text message, Brad is excited to hear from. He excuses himself and says he has to go. His cousin asked what he was all excited for, and he tells her he's meeting someone for sex. His family said he was happy and hurried. He went around and gave hugs and quickly said goodbye to everyone. He first stopped by the local mall so he could return tuxedos that were rented for the wedding. Then he arrives home at 2.55 p.m. to await whoever this mystery man is. The next day, May 7, 2017, David and his wife, Sherry, and their 13-year-old daughter drive over to Brad's house because David needs to return a weed trimmer that he had borrowed from Brad. When they arrive, they find the door slightly open. David yells in the door for Brad, but he doesn't receive a response. He sees the house is in disarray, which is unlike Brad. Shit's just strewn everywhere. He tells Sherry to grab his gun from inside the car. Something isn't right here at Brad's house. They move through his house and see drawers are pulled open. It looks like a robbery gone bad because Brad isn't answering when they call for him. David goes downstairs to the basement and laying next to a hot tub is the body of Brad. He was face down on the floor with gunshots to the back of his head. David yells to Sherry to call 911. Sherry tells emergency services to please hurry. There is blood everywhere and her friend is dead. When police arrive, they find Brad in the basement, face down with two bullet holes in the base of his skull. They find a bullet fragment from a twenty-two laying near his body. David, Sherry, and their 13-year-old daughter are outside and David is hysterical. He's crying and telling police that that was his best friend. The police noted that the house looked like it was a staged robbery. The drawers that had been pulled open were all pulled to the exact length, and it just looked suspicious. This was not a robbery. In fact, there was money laying around the house open that wasn't even touched. The Kinney family arrives at the police station to get a quick preliminary interview with the detective and to give a written statement. Who could have possibly had a motive to kill Brad is what they want to know. David gives them some backstory on Brad. He explains Brad is like a brother to him. David tells him that Brad had recently gone through a breakup with a guy named Scotty, and their relationship was super toxic, and Scotty isn't a good guy. His family and friends backed this up, saying nobody liked him, and they were relieved when Brad broke up with him. Is it possible that Scotty killed Brad because he's upset about this breakup? 
No, it is not possible because Scotty was serving time in jail in another state at the time. The police showed up at his mother's house and she says he's been in jail for the last three months. So this will completely rule him out if true. They want to speak to Scotty just to verify he really is in jail. They drive to West Virginia to interview him and Scotty was shocked to learn of Brad's murder and very distraught about it. He was in jail and he had been for the last three months. I did find Scotty's Facebook page and he appears to be doing much better these days. He looks happy and he has a partner and he appears to be living his best life. His bio reads, quote, trust the timing of your life. Difficult roads often lead to beautiful destinations. The police are wondering if maybe it was a hate crime, someone who knew Brad was gay and thought he should be dead for it. The police check into some of Brad's co-workers and find that Brad was well-liked at work. These guys didn't care that he was gay and everyone got along with him. They were still checked out, though, and they all had alibis that day. They also know this isn't a suicide since there was no weapon found near his body. Plus, the shots were to the back of the head. That would have mean he would have had to aim the gun at the back of his head, shoot, and then be able to shoot again. I'm not saying it's impossible, but very unlikely. Chief Detective Ryan Aller of the Belmont County Sheriff's Office does more interviews with Brad's family and learns some surprising news from Brad's cousin. This is the cousin that was in town for the wedding, the one who Brad had told he was going back to his house for an impromptu hookup and hauled ass away from his mom's dinner table. Just two days after the murder, Detective Aller questions this cousin because he wants to know who that text message was from. This could be the key to solving this case. Who was Brad so anxious to meet up with for sex? She said it's a man named DJ. Now, DJ is happily married to a woman and has kids and the whole bit, but he has been having an affair with Brad for years. Here's the real shocker. The guy he refers to as DJ is David Kinney, his best friend. David and Brad had a sexual relationship spanning back to 2011 when they first met. There was even a time in 2016 when David's wife became suspicious and questioned him about his relationship with Brad, the man who was accompanying them on vacations and eating dinner with their family, opening gifts with them on Christmas. David assured her he was very straight and only committed to her and not anyone else. The police bring David in for questioning and ask him about his friendship with Brad. They're shocked because David has been providing them with all this info about Brad, but never disclosed that he was in a relationship with him. He explains how they met at a coal mining training class back in 2011 and have been best friends since then. They ask for David's phone and he turned it over to them with the passcode. They say this is just a formality and they just want more insight into Brad so they can catch his killer. The detective comes back a while later and says his team found some stuff on the phone that had been deleted. Detective Aller says the re- he has reason to believe that he and Brad were more than friends and asked if they had a sexual relationship and David scoffs. Then he begins insinuating they did have a relationship, but he's beating around the bush and just kind of staring at his feet. 
Detective Aller assures David that, look, I'm not here to judge you. I don't care what you did. This is between us. I'm just trying to solve a murder and you're withholding important information from me. He's playing good cop. David begins crying and said his wife doesn't know about the two of them. Now, just because the two of them are having an affair does not mean that David is a suspect. At this point, he's just a person of interest. They need to add or eliminate David from the possibilities so they can move on. So on Brad Street, there is a police chief who lives there, and this guy has all kinds of surveillance around his property. His surveillance recorder captured David's car driving down their street at 1.59 p.m., At 2.55 p.m., it captured Brad's car driving down the street. It was him returning home. And at 3.11 p.m., it captured David's car traveling away from Brad's house. To sum that up, David arrived at Brad's house at 2 p.m. Brad came home at 2.55. David left at 3.11. Also, David's cell phone data put him at Brad's house at the time of Brad's death which was within minutes of him arriving home. It appears that David got there beforehand, ransacked the place to make it look like a robbery, killed Brad when he got home, and then he left. David is confronted with this info and begins to lose it. He begins crying and wailing and saying he didn't kill his friend. The detective is still playing good cop and tells him, look, I understand if this was some kind of accident or whatever, but you got to cross that line. You got to tell me and then we'll go from there. I'm going to cut to the chase here and tell you guys that David killed Brad, if you haven't figured that out already. I'll also tell you why the police and eventually the prosecution believe is the reason why David killed Brad. Brad recently had been complaining to David. He was tired of playing second fiddle to his wife. You need to either leave her and be with me or I'm going to tell her everything. Everyone will know that you have been sleeping with me for years. You are going down unless you want to commit to me. David did not want this information to get out, so he killed Brad and staged a robbery. Now David is trying to cover his tracks and get away with murder. The detective begins to turn up the heat. He's shifting into bad cop now. So he begins laying it on him. We have evidence that puts you at Brad's house during the murder. Little Mr. Cell Phone here, it tracks everything. You say that you went out to lunch with your wife, then you drove around by yourself to look at properties, but your cell phone tells us a different story. David is hysterical and wailing. Detective Allar says, we know you did it, and David just wails loudly. David is going to give seven or eight different stories about what happened. First, he claims that he arrived at Brad's house and Brad got out of the car with another man who was sitting in his passenger seat. He said he saw the two of them walk in the house and he waited outside. He said he heard a loud gunshot and fled because he was scared and that he should have called the police, but he didn't. The detective reminds him that Brad's passenger seat was full of items from the wedding, so no one was riding in it. The next story he gives is that he went into Brad's house and Brad is freaking out about money that is missing and Brad is ransacking his own house. David assures him that he didn't take it and and Brad is opening drawers and throwing stuff around. Brad also confronted David about how he needed to leave his wife and David refuses. David said, no, I'm not leaving Sherry and the kids for you. So Brad began hitting David. Then Brad pointed a gun at him. David was able to get the gun from Brad, and then he shot him twice. At this point, David admitted he was the shooter, 
except he says he shot Brad as he was rushing towards him because he felt threatened. He got scared and he panicked. But Brad was shot from behind, so we know this is a lie and physics prove that. At this point, he is charged with aggravated murder. They did not find any Derringer gun, which is what David said Brad had tried to use on him. They only found one gun in Brad's house, and that was a 9mm, which he kept in his bedside table. David goes to court where his case would be heard by a jury. A forensic pathologist said the gunshot occurred less than three inches from his head. It was also stated that if Brad had received medical care right right away, he likely would have survived. The prosecution argued that two shots to the back of the head isn't self-defense. The fact was brought up that David knew Brad was dead, yet he still brought his wife and 13-year-old daughter to the house. He exposed his 13-year-old daughter to a murder scene, which is just terrible and the child would likely need therapy afterwards. It was also argued that Brad is not the type to start a physical fight. That's just not his style. David was 10 inches taller than Brad. He certainly wouldn't go starting a fight with this guy who could easily kick his ass. The court was played the video of David and his wife, Sherry, in the interrogation room together. The police let them sit together and talk after David admitted he was the shooter. It's painful to watch because Sherry is hysterical as well, yelling, how could you do this? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. She is distraught that David brought their 13-year-old daughter over to view a dead body and pretend like you had no idea he was dead. The police really felt bad for her along with the rest of the world. She learns her husband was having an affair with his best friend. This man had been in their home thousands of times. The kids loved him. And then her husband shot him and brought them out to the scene so he could have witnesses. Like, look, my wife and daughter are here. We just walked in and Brad's dead. Detective Aller says, I believe that David Kinney made up in his mind that Brad McGarry had to die. So he lured him there with the promise of sex, killed him, and then covered it up the best that he could. Many of David's friends and family showed up to court to be character witnesses. They all testified that he wasn't a bad person. He's really a good guy. He just had this little moment when he went crazy, as, you know, according to them. David's lawyer asked that his bond be set at $250,000 and that his friends and family would be able to raise that amount. Then he could be placed on house arrest. According to an article by Robert DeFrank, quote, They testified about Kinney's character, saying he has always been honorable, hardworking, and responsible, as well as a loving husband and father. Sherry Kinney said her husband had been a father to her three children for the past 10 years, despite not being their biological parent. David addressed Brad's family in court by saying, I would like to apologize to the McGarry family for all the hurt and pain I put you through, he said. I didn't mean for any of this to happen, and I wish I could take it all back. All the apologies in the world will never bring him back, but I want you to know I am truly sorry for it all. In February 2018, David Kenny was found guilty of aggravated murder It took the jury only four hours of deliberating. David was sentenced to life in prison, plus three years. He should have just admitted he was bisexual. If he felt ashamed or embarrassed that Brad was going to expose him, he could have left his wife and moved away. He could have said, look, I'm checking out of this marriage. This is not who I am. Goodbye. Now he's spending the rest of his life in prison. 
We don't even know if Brad was really going to expose him. Remember, he was excited and rushing home for sex. Many believe David was just tired of hiding the affair and thought the only way out was to kill Brad. Only David knows the true motive. Shout out to the cousin who was the one who really helped police by naming the person Brad was sleeping with. She saves the detective so much time by offering this info. They would have eventually found out about the affair through technology, but it would have taken some work. Her name dropping David like she did saved them a bunch of steps. I don't know what happened to Sherry Kenny, but I assume that she has moved on and is hopefully living a good life away from David, who was spending the rest of his life in prison. Brad's friends say they miss their friend. He has loving, caring, sweet nature. He was a good guy, and he didn't deserve to die by gunshot at 43 years old in his home at the hands of someone that he cared for. Rest in peace to Brad McGarry. He was laid to rest at Friendship Cemetery in Louisville, Ohio. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.